Well, hello, and welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name is DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. You know, I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I wouldn't listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. So, let's take a look at today's topic. The elephant in the room. I had um, quite a few conversations this week about what was going on in the United States right now. And if you're listening to this way after I post this, uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with um, protesting and, and rioting and looting, uh, all stemming uh, from the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, four police officers have now been uh, charged in the death of Floyd. And all over <clears throat> major cities, at least, uh, e- even where I live, which is not necessarily a major city itself, it's a smaller city next to Atlanta, uh, we have uh, uh, protests. And, you know, I was thinking about this this week and, and, and speaking to, to quite a few people about it um, on, on all sides. You know, I'm one of those that I want to hear both sides of everything. You know, just, just I, I, I like to understand uh, reasoning and thought process. And I got to tell you that um, uh, history again, here we go. Uh, Sir Robert Peel popped back in my mind. And we'll get to that in a minute, and I'll explain what I mean. You know, there are bad cops. You've heard me say that on these podcasts before. Uh, I unfortunately have been uh, in the investigation of some of those bad cops and the conviction, uh, arrest and conviction of some of those bad cops. And, And you've heard my disdain for them because, frankly... It puts a pall and a mark on the rest of the good cops. Let me put something in perspective for you. Um, as of, well, when I checked today, um, there are just under 18,000 police agencies in the United States. And over 680,000 police officers. I'm going to make a statement that, 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 that some might say, oh, that's not true, but I'm just going to make it because, well, this is my podcast and in my opinion, most of those cops are not rotten. Most of those cops feel for the family of George Floyd. They feel for George. You watch that video, you know that, 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 that tactic, that, that act was going to go bad. The very, the very second I saw that tactic on the neck, I thought, this, this is not good. This, this is horrible. 
that that's going to go bad. Um, but I've spoken to so many of my brothers and sisters in law enforcement and those who were in law enforcement who feel the exact same way, a disdain, a, a bad taste in our mouth for what happened. And, and it's because of the act, of course, but it's also because we know now that it's going to be even more difficult in, in, in many communities to gain trust. And that's kind of what I want to focus on today. Why is that? Keep in mind that the, the conversation we're about to have in no way makes light or, or uh, diminishes what happened at all. But, but I believe that there's a, a bigger thing going on here. I mean, we'll talk real quick about the, the, the protesters, the rioters, and the looters. Um, you know, protesting is your, is your right. Um, support is. As a matter of fact, there was a, a protest on my historic down, uh, downtown square just the other day. Uh, where uh, my, my, my sheriff showed up, the police showed up, and, and they didn't show up to stop it. They showed up to take part. That's fantastic. I mean, how many, look at, the, look at what has happened with the good cops in this situation. Uh, look at the, the, the police chief in Atlanta even went down night one with her police officers in the streets during this to to be a part uh, I, I watched the the detroit police chief go down and literally tell people who are about to break into uh, a, a building stop we're here to to support you in the protest but what are you doing you're hurting your own community that this this does not affect what's going on affect what's going on with your voice not with violent actions. And I was very, very proud of, of, of the chief for that. And I've seen that over and over and over. Now, you might have to dig a little bit. You might have to look a little bit to find those. Because, you know, th th those don't necessarily make the top of the news ticker. What makes the top of the news ticker are the people who are violent. And that's disheartening. Th those who those who want to protest and speak their minds on, um, on on wrongdoings should be the top of the news ticker. But those who come in, who I personally do not believe are part of uh, these protests and want to uh, riot and and burn police cars and 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 then just take angst out on buildings. Some chain businesses, some small business owners. That does nothing but hurt our communities. And I don't believe those people are truly part of the protest. I believe those people, for the most part, are basically what I would coin as criminal opportunists who see an opportunity and want to break into places, steal, uh, watched live on television in California, uh, a nice shopping area, um, just one particular shoe store, but it was in many stores in the strip. One shoe store was just, it was, I counted at least 
50 people who were going in and out and in and out and in and out. And many of them just didn't seem to care. Uh, no, no face coverings. No, I mean, a couple of them ran up with um, uh, bundles of, of loot in their arms and, and right to the camera and, and screamed things uh, as if that's not going to be reviewed. I mean, who knows? Maybe here shortly we'll find them on the uh, uh, stupid criminals blotter that we'll get to later on. But, but I think at the core, it's different. You know, is there racism in people? Yes. In some people, there still is. That's, and that, that's painful. That is painful to all of us in our society. Is there, is, is there just, are there some cops that just want to, 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 to fight yeah, 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 there are. But again, for the majority, there's not. And, and that's one thing that, that pains and hurts me, is when I see reports like, oh, the whole system needs to be flipped up on its head. Now, I'm all about checks and balances. You all know that if you listen to my podcast at all. I mean, how many times have I, <laughs> have I said the words SOP? or policies and procedures. Uh, I, I work with agencies every day on SOP and policies and procedures and what to do right and how to avoid doing wrong and how to, how to root out those officers who just won't follow those things so that we can avoid exactly what has occurred. I'm invested heavily in that. But it's not everybody. So then... We ask ourselves, or I ask myself, so, DJ, you, you know these cops. You travel all over. You, you meet so many good ones. You know personally so many that, that are just smacked by this. But why then it, it's, or have some people come up with the opinion is anybody wearing the badge is bad, Anybody wearing the badge is tainted. I got to tell you, even even you know, five years ago or more, um, as we talked in an earlier podcast about um, training and and um, police academies, the the amount of people going into policing has dropped. Oddly, um, uh, the 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 amount of people who stay in it are 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 less. Maybe not so oddly. So what we're seeing is we're seeing, uh, you know, those who go in don't stay very long. Two years is is the average. Um, a little over two years is the average right now. So then you say, well, every good cop that's listening to me that's been doing it for more than two years, because by the way, if you're not a cop, we consider anybody under two years a rookie. You think, man, I man, can you imagine? If I was going through something like this, uh, these riots and all as a rookie, man, I'd, I'd be wide-eyed and scared to death. I, I, I didn't really learn how to properly deal with people in, in, a, in a violent situation or a potentially violent situation until I was way down the line in experience. So if we, if we don't have enough cops and we can't keep them, then, then how do we train 
to handle situations better. Um, now, granted, I personally don't believe there was any amount of training that would have kept this one particular cop that uh, killed George Floyd in 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 line. And I'm not accusing. I'm not. I, I'm. This is an opinion from another cop. Okay, watching that video, I, I there are bad apples. Period. So I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he's like, I think it's all about training. I think it's all about training. I think it's all about training. And I said, you're, you're right. That's a big part. Training, training, training. And not, and, and not just defensive tactics or things like that. Listen, that is important. I, I, I have been on the receiving end of a completely blind attack as a police officer many times. Completely blind. Um, th- those, <laughs> those skills are necessary to live. However, for the majority, I was able to talk down a situation, speak to the person, connect with the person. But how, was I able to do that day one? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I remember going one night as a, as a fresh rookie and thinking about it, it was night. So I was on FTO at night, I think my second week. Yeah, it must have been about my second week. And we had a large drunken brawl. At a Waffle House. Yes, I know that sounds like the beginning to one of my stupid criminals deals, and it could have been. But we got there, and when I say large drunken brawl, I'm talking 150 people. And they weren't hearing it. And I remember as a rookie thinking, whoa, this is going to get bad. My brain immediately went to, this is out of control, this is going to get bad. It's funny, I didn't immediately go to, all right, find the ringleader or ringleaders and see if we can talk them down, calm them down, or remove them from the situation. Uh, you know, I didn't learn that immediately. Was I taught that? Sure. Human nature, though, tells you, okay, it's fight or flight. Fight or flight. And, and when we get in situations where we get ramped up, get ramped up, uh, because somebody is taunting or doting or, or, or we think that, that they're about to, in a human mind, about to cause havoc, our, our brains take over. The brains take over when training hasn't been driven in. I had a firearms instructor once that told me about muscle memory, muscle memory. Um, and, and it wasn't just about firearms. It was about anything. You know, wh- where's everything on your on your bat belt? Uh, how do you, uh, you know, do these things automatically so that when you're in stress, you, you won't have to think about them? And muscle memory takes about 3,000 repetitions. I did some study on that and found out that it's very much the same when it comes to brain muscle memory. Uh, brain's not a muscle, DJ. Yeah, I know, but follow me here. So what I mean is, how many times do you need to practice or do something before your brain is automatic with it? The thinking becomes automatic and regular. Studies are it's not as many as 3,000, but it depends on the person. So what I'm getting at here is if we're not training it, if we're not doing it, and frankly, forget the training for a minute, if you don't have enough experience under your belt as an officer, then you're immediately going to go back to your your, your nature, and that's bad. So, so we're, you know, training and policies and procedures and 
But what's the core of this? I think the core of this is much deeper. Much, much deeper than George Floyd. I, I think the core of this is a, a pure loss of trust. A pure loss of identity of the police. It, it's, you know, I was, I was talking to another friend who happens to be from Australia, uh, but he's lived in the United States for quite a while now. And, and I said, you know, it, <laughs> I, when this occurred with, 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 with George Floyd and, and the cities started to, you know, go into, in, in, into chaos, it seemed, I couldn't help but think of the, the series of podcasts I had done. This is my 15th. And at least the last five have been in or around topics like this. And I thought, well, that's just, you know, because when I speak to police, I feel that. I, I, I feel the, the, they feel the need for this to change. They do this ahead of time. If you're this is the first podcast you're listening to, go back and listen to the others. And understand, they were way before this. And it, it dawned on me, let's get back to Sir Robert Peel. That I believe that one of the cores of this is the fact that there is no identity in policing anymore. There is no, oh, there's Detective Seals. Yeah, yeah, he, he had a coffee with me the other day. Yeah, he's a good guy. He comes by, da, 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 da. There is none of that anymore. There is now drive-by badge, drive-by badge, drive-by badge. There's that uniform. There's this, there's that. And let me see if I can make my point. If you get pulled over by a police officer, approaches the window, and you realize that, that you know the police officer, you know, went to school with them, church with them, civic duty with them, something, you know, you know this police officer. I mean, depending on what you did, you may still be getting a ticket, but ask yourself, what is the... What's the communication like during that pullover? I mean, you're, you're nervous when you get pulled over, right? Oh, it's the police. Oh, it's the police. Oh. But he, he or she shows up and you go, oh, oh, hey, Bob. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was speeding. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I just, I was just brainless. Sorry, man. You know, and okay, yeah, sure, do, do what you need. Okay, thanks, Bob. I mean, the feeling, you may be still upset you're going to get a ticket, and who knows? Some people will be, you know, thinking Bob should let him go, but we won't get into that. But but the feeling in your body will go from I got pulled over by a cop. I'm going to sit here. I got my hands on the wheel. I got my license. I got oh, what do I need? Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, you realize you know the cop, and you go, oh, you you relax. Even if something's going on, you relax. Why is that? Going back to the human condition, it's because we're familiar. When we're familiar with people, we're relaxed. You know, if yeah, I, I do a lot of conferences, <laughs> I do a lot of traveling, and I talk to a lot of people. And, you know, it's it's always one of those nice things when I'm at a conference and and uh, when I started you know, traveling overseas and doing conferences, I didn't really know anybody. And you're always kind of just on, okay, who's this and who's that? And who's a, you're kind of on that edge of making sure you remember people. And do I know this person? And uh, But when I started going back, I, I would see somebody I'd know in the crowd. And I would be like, oh, there, there's, there's my buddy. Hey, hey, how you doing, buddy? You know, because we're looking for that connection. 
Don't forget, Sir Robert Peel said, the police are the public, and the public is the police. Because in the, in, in the beginning of his policing era, it was just, hey, you know, Stephen, you're an upstanding citizen. We would like you to be a police officer. What's that mean? Well, just keep the peace and make sure everything's fine and uh, nobody's breaking into houses. And, oh, certainly I can do that. And those officers were assigned to their neighborhoods. There weren't a lot at the time, but they were assigned to those neighborhoods. Why? Because everybody knew Stephen, whoever that is, imaginary Stephen. And they were like, oh, that's, that, that's Stephen. It's harder, folks, to be angry or to act out against somebody we have a relationship with. It's not, not impossible, but it's, it's harder, right? And I'm not saying what happened with George Floyd would have been prevented with this, because I've read some reports that say that George and, and the officer actually worked together in an off-duty. This, this officer and these officers... We're the bad apples. We're not talking about those. We're talking about the good officers and how we make them even better. Now, yes, DJ, how in the world is that going to work in today's policing? We don't have enough cops. We got too much area. We got too many calls coming in. And you're right. I'm just opining here. But what I am saying is perhaps an era of community policing as we've been speaking about for you know, a few weeks here in different ways, needs to be ushered back in. So how do I envision that? Well, it's a little difficult, but at its core, it's fairly simple. Why is it difficult? Because it's going to take officers. Hmm. Why, why is it simple? Because the tenants are very simple. So we take officers, and instead of just driving by, they speak to people. They get out. They talk to business owners. They talk to you're driving through a neighborhood, you stop for a minute. You roll down your window. You just talk to people. Now my gut is here's the reaction you're going to get when you're driving through a neighborhood and this has never happened before and you roll down the window. You're going to have a few people that run. Why? Just cuz they run. <laughs> And you're going to have a few people that just go, what do you want? That's just the point, isn't it? Why? Why would they go, what do you want? You're there to help, aren't you? You're there to help. To, to protect and serve. Not to punish and enslave. Right? The good cops know they're there to protect and serve. And when you roll down that window and start talking, they're going to be like, what is this person doing? But do it again. And do it to the next house. And do it on the next block when you see somebody out. Just, hey, how you doing today? You see you see some a family with some kids? Hey, how was school this year? Talk to them as a human. Introduce yourself. I'm Officer Smith. You know, I would go so far as to say, my name's DJ Seals. I'm a detective at the police department. See how I did that differently? Yes, you are Officer Smith. You're Detective Jones. You're, yes, I know that. You're Lieutenant 
whatever. But first names followed by your where you work and what you do are more personable. They make you a person, not just the badge. And you are a person. You you have a, a family. You have a life outside of this. You you have hobbies. You do everything that your citizens do. You are the public, and the public is you. We don't get cops from a closet. <laughs> we don't manufacture them. If we did, we'd have plenty of them. We get them from the public, from people who want to do the job. That's how it starts. Somebody in the public says, I want to be a police officer. For a myriad of reasons, right? A myriad of hopefully good reasons. And and we say, I want to be a police officer. And, and you go through all the regime it takes to get in there. I mean, we're, we're, we'll probably do a podcast one day on what does it take to become a cop? It, it might surprise everybody who's non-law enforcement that listens to my podcast. What it takes to go through it. I mean, it's not like you open the magic crackerjack box, your badge falls out, you pin it on, and you go, I'm, I'm done. There was a time <laughs> way back when that nearly occurred, but not anymore. Testing and training and, and man, I mean, it, whew, you really got to want to do it if you're going to do it. But, but that's how it began, right? It began with community policing because the community, somebody in the community became a police officer. But, but then comes the breakdown. And you know what? Let's be honest with you. Yes, I've had people that I've, I've trained with. I've had um, academy instructors. I've had field training officers that, that were not exactly what you'd call community people. Don't go there. Oh, that person's rotten. That whole neighborhood's bad. But I never believed any of that because that's not true. Now, it could be partially because my, my, my wife works in the school system here. And my son, who, who just turned 18, by the way, um, just he came up. He grew up with the children of the community. And I was part of that. And I knew them. Right. But that's how we should be in policing. Part of the community. Know the community. Chiefs, I'm going to charge you right now with something. If I've got any chiefs listening, and by the way, I do look uh, here and there on who might be listening, and I get some comments back and forth, and I do see some chiefs out there. So, Chief, if you're picking this up, I'm going to challenge you right now. When there's a community event, send an officer. Not for protection, not for crowd control, and not for traffic. You may have to do it for traffic, depending on the event. But I'm talking send an officer. <laughs> send an officer to be part of the event. Or two, if you can. Okay, I know. Well, i got to pay them overtime. i got to. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Depending on your state, and I know that some states have police unions that won't allow this, um, but we used to always get invitations for just volunteerism. Hey, anybody want to go out here to the YMCA is having an event and they just, uh, you want to go out and just meet people and be around and put a face to the badge. But let me tell you on the police side, it's really hard not to identify as the badge. 
Hmm. I, I got to tell you, I, you know, I internalized this for a while. It's really, really, really difficult to not become the job. Now, why is that? Because my oath said that I was a police officer all the time. I, I wasn't a police officer when I was on shift. I was a police officer all the time. 24-7, 365, I was a cop. And most oaths that I've seen, actually all oaths that I've seen, have said that. It gets internalized. Now, why is that? It's not a bad thing. Why is that? That's because we want to make sure that they have the rights of a police officer at all times. Because off-duty, I would see crimes occur, and I would act, right? You know, small things, shoplifting, things like that, accidents, you know, uh, hit and run. I, you would act off-duty, right? That, that's fine. But in all the training and all the everything that's going on, it's difficult not to internalize it. And if you internalize it, you separate. So we have to find that, that fine line between, I know I'm a cop all the time, and I know I'm doing this job all the time, but I'm also a citizen of the community. That's where we need to be. And that's where many cops are. But let me give the last charge here. And no, I'm not going to get into the militarization of police. I may do that on my next podcast. Let me know. Email me. Hit me up on Twitter. I mean, that's going to be a difficult one for me. I'm a SWAT guy, right? But we can talk about that. What I really wanted to charge us today is why. The why of it. The root of it. You know, George Floyd has not been the only one. And every time we have public unrest, rightly so to the protesters, not rightly so to the rioters, people who are burning places down, people who are looting, you're, you're, just, a, you're just a fringe. You're, you're part of the problem, okay? People voicing is right. Please voice peacefully. Voice. You'll find that the police support you in this. Why do this police support people in this? Oh, because they just don't want to look bad. No, no, no. That is a cynical, cynical, cynical way to look at this. It's not because they want to look bad. It's because they don't want to have anything to do with the bad apples. We want the bad apples out as much as you do. To voice yourself, as you should. But let me charge my police officers, my analysts, my dispatchers, my fire, my EMTs, all of my public service. Let me charge you with one thing. When you go out to your next call, are you going as a citizen who is a police officer or an EMT or a fireman or dispatcher or are you going as the cops solely we're two we are the same we are a citizen and we are the police try to change your head just slightly 
try to say, I'm going to another citizen's home. This citizen, just like me, okay, but this citizen is in a bad situation. They're probably going to be ramped up. They're probably going to be upset. I, I need to understand that as a human being. I need to enact my duties as a police officer. But I need to have the understanding as a human being. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to get. You know, and it's funny too because I, I wasn't a real big community policing uh, guy in the beginning. Uh, why is that? Well, uh, SWAT. And, and, and I'm not down in SWAT. I'm not down in SWAT. But it's really, really hard to don the gear, go in, say we're serving a no-knock narcotics warrant, and take a door down and go in and, and do what SWAT does and, and get the, the narcotics dealer. And narcotics comes in and they gather up all the narcotics and we arrest who needs to be arrested and we leave. Let me tell you a quick story before we get to our criminals. I was asked, I may have said this a little bit before, but I want to I really reiterate this again. Where it really became uh, personal to me, I was asked when my son, my oldest, who was in elementary school at the time, I was asked by a teacher to come in and speak to the kids. I loved doing that. I did love doing that. But she said, I want you to come in in SWAT gear. And I thought, whoa, are you sure? She said, yes. I walked in in full gear. And I mean full gear. Um, and I started talking to the kids. And, and they, were from, they were from all over the county. Um, some, you know, all, all demographics, all socioeconomic. Uh, and, of course, my, my son's sitting in the class. And all of them were wide-eyed and mouths agape. And I was speaking to them. I was asking questions. I was getting no answers. No answers. And I started to remove the SWAT gear. Helmet. You know, uh, vest. Took a second to get that big boy off. Um, and, I, I, and, and I had even my balaclava, the, the face covering. I had that on too in the beginning. Took all that off. Just down to, you know... My BDU pants and T-shirt and my boots and, you know, just, just like anybody else, I guess. And um, I kept talking throughout the thing. And when the SWAT gear came off, the questions began. And they relaxed. These are children. They relaxed. And, and I said, hey, I'm just like you. Uh, my son's in the back. There he is. And they all waved. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah your dad's is. And, and, and they became more comfortable. I told them my name. They called me by my name. I, I, I learned their names. and Some I already knew. And, and then I had them come up. And, Here, you want to hold the vest? See how heavy that is. Oh, my goodness. And, and I answered all the questions. And this one kid tugged on my pants. And I looked over and he says, uh, uh, um. Uh, Detective Seals? I said, yes. He said, uh, uh, you were at my house last night. And I thought, what? And then, you know, I did have a SWAT raid the previous night. And I looked and I was like, oh, goodness, I was at his house last night. And he wasn't upset. But he looked at me 
and in a very normal tone said, um, is my dad getting out soon or, or, or what? I said, I don't know, buddy. Um, I don't know, but, uh, you okay from last night? He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I just wanted to ask. Boy, that struck me. That struck me. I got to tell you right now, if a SWAT team hit my house, I don't believe my son would have been that calm. It was, it was almost normalized for, for this child. And I realized how really, really, really important it was for me to have been there that day. Because if it's normalized for him, I mean, I don't remember ever going, having a SWAT action at that house before, but if it's normalized for him, then that means he must live in a very, very interesting world, a, a world vastly different from many of us. And how important is it for us to have a personal relationship, especially with the children that live in that world, where they can grow up and say, oh, I met this uh, SWAT guy, his name is uh, Seals or something like that. His son was in my class. He, he was all right. He was all right. He talked to me, let me hold the vest. You know, he, he was cool. Every time I saw him, he was cool. Um, my son graduated virtually um, last week, and I watched a lot of the kids that he grew up with so many were in that class that had graduated. And, you know, they're 17 or 18 now. And I thought to myself the other day, I wonder wonder what world they're living in today. Is it different than the world they lived in when they were five and six? What are their, what's their outlook? You know, and I thought to myself, I wonder, you know, any that I had contacted, did I make a difference? Long-term difference, not legal difference, long-term difference. It, it starts with each of us, my fellow brothers and sisters. It starts with each of us. Each of us must, must make an attempt to be a citizen who is also a police officer. Hmm. Heavy topic today, I know. Um, I just... You just you just have to address these when they come up, and that's the reason for this podcast. Wanted to have a conversation. So let's take a look. Let's switch gears slightly here and take a look at some stupid criminals. I found some good ones today, well, basically because I knew the topic was so heavy. But here we go. Most people hate their mud shots even more than the picture on a driver's license. But this guy from Florida... My Florida friends, I swear I'm not targeting you, but as I'm going through these, it's almost difficult not to find all of them from Florida, nonetheless. So, Florida man, here we go, uh, found a wanted poster with his picture on it, and he liked it. So he made it his um, Facebook profile. Mm-hmm. Stewart, Florida police responded to a battery complaint Monday night. Uh, when they arrived at the scene, the suspect wasn't there anymore. They were trying to find out uh, where, he, where he would be, more about him. And of course, they hopped on Facebook. It's public, people. Social media is public. <laughs> anyway, uh, sure enough, did not take them long to identify him and go back to the house and uh, arrest him. However, the greatest thing is this. When they went to get him, 
Early in the morning, he asked the officer, hey, can I put on a pair of jeans? Well, of course you can. So they went to watch him, obviously, put on a pair of jeans, and as he put the pair of jeans on, a large bag of marijuana fell out of his pocket. Face palm. So he was not only charged with the uh, charge that he was wanted on, uh, but <laughs> he was added to uh, possession of marijuana. Pittsburgh. This guy showed up to traffic court to face charges of driving under suspension uh, and was apparently feeling quite reckless or, or more, he's just an idiot. So this was here in Atlanta. Uh, uh, the AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, reports that Christopher Durkin uh, had wrapped up his hearing and was headed out of the courtroom. That's right, leaving. L- leaving. I'm not going to jail. Like, here's, here's your punishment, but you get to go home. All right? And this idiot in the courtroom stops to briefly talk with uh, just some dude in the courtroom uh, guy looked very confused uh, Durkin moved on and the sheriff's deputy that was basically ushering Durkin out went back and talked to this guy the guy said Durkin had approached him and asked if he wanted to buy any Suboxone that's a narcotic used to relieve pain basically it's an opioid uh, addiction treatment but it's kind of an opioid itself the deputy went out into the hall and guess what he found him doing he was still hanging around trying to sell the dope and still had two units of the drug in his pocket. Really? Hey. Mm-mm-mm. Let's move up to Idaho. This is a good one. This was an unusual 911 call that tipped off police in Idaho. Uh, two people uh, entered the state with 20 pounds of marijuana. Wow. That's a, that's a nice tip. As somebody used to work narcotics, that's a nice tip. Thank you very much. So who could have placed this tip? Well, you see, these two idiots uh, that were driving a large van from Las Vegas to Montana because they were intentionally hauling this pot from Las Vegas to Montana, they broke the cardinal rule of drug dealing. Don't get high on your own supply. Well, they did. Got real nervous. And they became to, uh, well, incorrectly believe that undercover cops were following them. (laughs) So they called 911 and said, and I'm going to paraphrase because I can't. This this is a clean podcast. Hi, uh, we're two dumb that got trying to uh, bring some stuff over your border. And all your cops are just driving around us like a bunch of jack wagons. And I'd like you guys to end it. Well, of course, it was not undercover cops. However, uh, the dispatcher, being a good, fine dispatcher, uh, took the audio call and sent it over to local authorities immediately, uh, who then found the van, pulled it over, found the dope, and arrested the two. Boy, the article doesn't say it, but boy, I really hope they told them that nobody was actually following them ahead of time. And the last one, shop with a cop. How many cops on the podcast have ever done shop with a cop? I love that. If you don't know what shop with a cop is, it, it's where um, police and uh, and fire uh, actually go to a, a store, a large box store, and they shop with children who otherwise might not get, uh, you know, uh, Christmas gifts. They they buy them for them. They shop with them. See, community policing. Let's do it. Um, so these guys uh, actually went out to do some shoplifting. Uh, at, at a Walmart in Florida. Anyway, <laughs> as they were shopping in Florida, they chose the wrong time. It was during the Shop with a Cop event. Yeah, these guys got nervous, but were still um, pretty, pretty, uh, 
pretty ready to shoplift and uh, started stealing TVs. Can it get dumber? I mean, if you still want to shoplift, I guess you could give it a shot with like a candy bar you can put in your pocket, right? A TV? Oh yeah, so these guys just walked out the front door with a TV. Uh, of course, the myriad of police officers that were there uh, told their nice children, excuse me, I'll be right back, okay? And got the guys in the parking lot uh, where they were charged with possession uh, of, of a stolen item. And uh, you'll love this one. When they check their pockets, what do you bet? That's right. Methadone tablets without a prescription. Bum, bum, ba, bum. Wow. I just love these because every time I go on, there's more and more and more and more and more. They never end. You know, as we go along this journey together, I may say some things you do not agree with. Or maybe you do agree with me and even have a topic you'd like me to cover. I mentioned a topic earlier in this podcast, the militarization of police. If you'd like me to cover that, hit me up. I'll do it. Or maybe you have a funny police story you'd like to share with me. Some of you have. Thank you very much. I encourage you, either way, to email me at offthebeat at MotorolaSolutions.com to give me your thoughts and ideas. And, of course, check out my Twitter page at DJ underscore offthebeat. Until next time, stay diligent, stay educated, and stay safe.